Right. Who do we have here then? Yes, 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 yes. Dawson. Allison, formerly of Pilrig Road in Edinburgh. Now let's see. You got here this morning via a car crash and there was alcohol involved. Smithers, here to help. We're here to process your application for residency. Yes, residency to heaven. Now, I see here, Miss Dawson, in paragraph one, you say that you are a good person. Could you justify that, please? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a good person. I, uh, I'm a loving mother to two kids, do a lot for them, a hardworking employee, generous friend. Alison, I, I did say I'm here to help. We need to be honest with each other. Alison, where does liar fit into the equation here? Excuse me? Liar. Yes, liar, Alison. liar. Well, according to our records, and we have been keeping records on you from the day you were born, according to our records, you pretty much are a liar, Alison. I mean, <clears throat> yes. Let's look here at your first lie. They're often the most sweet. Yes, Alison, you were four years old here. You hid your sister Katie's dress under the bed... And when your mother asked you about it, you denied all knowledge. Are you serious? I was four years old. Are you telling me God wastes his time with this stuff? Alison, God cares about everything you've done with your life. Okay, <laughs> let's look at this one here. Yes, 13, 14, almost 15. Two days before your birthday, in fact. You spent the night in the park with your friends. You smoked weed for the first time. And you lied to your parents about it. Everyone does that. It's, it's kind of like what growing up is all about. I mean, you, you experiment, you explore, you move on. It's a rite of passage. It's, it's no big deal. No big deal. Okay. Alison, what about this one here? Yes. 2005. You're married to Phil. And this is the, yes, the office party. You and Steve from administration. Alison, <laughs> you lied. To your husband Phil about that night? Yeah, well, that was a mistake, okay? I was drunk and I regret it. I mean, I can't take it back now, and I, I lied in that circumstance to try and save my marriage. S excuse me, did you say save? Did you, did you say save your marriage? Alison, you know fine well that that's a lie. I mean, it never saved your marriage, did it? I mean, that lie, when it was un uncovered, I mean, here, three years later. Yes. Phil finds out about that night with Steve. He questions the paternity of his own children. It ends up in a very messy divorce, Alison. It was a mistake, okay? People make mistakes. That's the whole point. We're not God. We're human. We make mistakes. Alison, you are not God, yes. None of us are God. But you are going to go through that door... In five minutes' time, and you're going to stand before God. How are you going to give an account for your life? It's not a big deal. There are a couple of fibs. I mean, you're making it sound like I'm criminal. I haven't gone out and robbed a bank or something. Alison, yes. You've never robbed a bank. I mean, there's nothing in here about you. You're robbing a bank, but... You're a thief. Yes, Alison. Let's look at last week, for instance, just before you got here. You stole countless hours from your boss at work. I mean, am I wrong here? Don't you get paid till 5 o'clock every day? Monday, you finished at 4.45. Tuesday, 3.45. Wednesday, 5 to 4. And, and what about the countless expense claims that you made? You had no right to make those claims, that, Alison. That's not stealing. That's, that's five minutes, ten minutes max. I mean, I'm a hard worker. They, they probably know I do it anyway. Well, what about this one? Okay. Stealing. You, were, you Actually, no, not that one. Yeah. Yeah, this one here. This is a good one. You were 18 here. Do you remember this? It was prom night. Remember you went to Topshop. You might remember this. There was a dress that you really liked, Alison. The dress, you know, the black silky one, you remember? It was £40, Alison. You didn't have enough money. And you took a label off the, the price that said 20 and you replaced it. <laughs> 
20 pounds. It's stealing. I, I don't think Topshop noticed, okay? I don't think it's that big a deal. Where's all the good stuff in your records anyway? You're just picking on all these nitpitty small things. I've done good stuff too, you know? I mean, like, I've sacrificed a lot for my girls to have a good life, okay? And, 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 and last year, I let that woman, Angela, stay with us, even though it was totally inconvenient, just because she had nowhere else to go. She stayed for six months. And I've started training for that marathon, for that charity that my auntie's involved with. I mean, I do good things all the time. You know, who are you to judge me, anyway? I mean, it, it's my life. Who are you to nitpick my life and tear it apart? I mean... You're making me sound like I'm some kind of monster again. Like, I haven't murdered anyone, right? Look, I'll I don't have to listen to this. Down. Yes, you've never murdered anyone. I give you that. And look here, you have done countless good things with your life. Well done, I congratulate you. You are a good person. And no, you have never physically murdered anyone, Alison. I give you that. But let's look at what God says about murder, Alison. You know fine well that Jesus Christ himself said... If you have ever hated anyone in your hearts, then you have murdered them in your hearts. And Alison, your life has been one that's been filled with hate. I mean, when you went to school, you hated the girls that were more popular than you. You hated your physics teacher. You hated the headmaster. You hate nearly every single person in work. Alison, you hate your boss. And didn't you? Yes, you did. Didn't you tell your mother you hate her just before she died? Liar, thief, murderer, Alison. If God loved me, then he'd let this stuff slide. I mean, if he loves me, why is he doing this to me? Like, I've been baptized, okay? I've been to church a few times. I mean, I, I believe in the existence of God. Alison, the devil himself believes in the existence of God. Do you think that's going to save him? The question here is not one of guilt, Alison. I give up. Liar, thief, murderer. The question you need to ask yourself is, do you deserve to be here? Do you? See you again for John and for Beth. Okay, there was a guy... He was walking through the woods one day, and out of the blue appears this genie. Oh, he's absolutely blown away. The genie says to him, now it's time for your third and final wish. The guy says, my third and final wish? He said, what happened to the first two? And he says, you've had your first two. He said, no, 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 I've never met you in my life before. This is my first wish. No, no, this is your third and final wish. He said, well, please explain, because I, I don't remember them. He said, well, your first wish, you actually, in your second wish, you wished that you couldn't remember anything to do with whatsoever the horrendousness of the first wish. That was your second wish. And the guy says, this is heavy. Whew, okay, I've got to think, I've got to think. I've got to make a good choice now. I've got to, I've got to, got to ask for the wisest thing I can possibly ask for. Okay, Mr. Genie, I ask that I will know my true self. Your wish is my commands. Disappears. As he's disappearing, the genie says to himself, that's kind of strange, that was your first wish, and disappears. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, today I'm going to be talking to you about um, the lightweight subject of the mercy and the judgment of God. Let's pray. God, I pray today as we look at this serious subject, I pray God, open our hearts to hear truth. Open our minds to consider things. God, if we're challenged, then that's cool. And I pray you'd speak to us, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this is the book of James, chapter 2, and verses 1 to 13. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes comes in. Will you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good seat for you? 
but you say to the poor man, you stand here or sit there on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? But if you really keep the royal law as found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing right. If you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles in just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who says do not commit adultery, also said do not murder. If you commit adultery but you do not murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Say that with me. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Big question. How important will the mercy of God be on judgment day? It's the biggest thing. How important will the mercy of God be on judgment day? I want to take us on a journey this morning. And I want to tackle a journey that looks at first of all us, then looks at God, then looks at us again. First of all, looking at us, our condition before God. James 2, 10 and 11. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in just one point is guilty of breaking the whole, all of it. For he who says do not commit adultery also said do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. The Bible says whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Let me illustrate this for you. Um, got some props here. piece of glass, very clean piece of glass as you can see. I have a piece of glass now in front of you all I'm going to attempt something which is incredibly risky especially for those in the front row because shards of glass could fly at all different angles and puncture, okay. <laughs> but that, that might not happen, it might it only happened once before. We have a piece of glass here and what I'm going to do for you folks is I am going to attempt to, I've got a hammer and nail here, I'm going to put the nail through the glass and it's bound to just create a little hole in the corner of the glass, okay? So I'm going to put a nail right through the glass and it'll create a little hole. Okay, that's the plan. Oh, sure. <laughs> Who would like to see the little hole I've created? Oh, sure. It didn't work. Okay, that, that was the whole point. You try and break one bit, you try and put a little hole in it, and what happens is you break it all. You think, oh, well, I've just stolen. Well, you're a lawbreaker. I've just lied. According to the Bible, you're a lawbreaker. In the UK, the legal system is this, that jurors have to have an open mind. They cannot come to the court hearing with prejudice, deciding before they know all the facts. You see, they must agree that the person who the accusation is against is innocent until found guilty. For the people who have never been on the wrong side of the law, that gives them a great comfort, knowing that they won't, it won't be assumed that they're guilty. It has to be proved that they're guilty. That's our legal system. However, with God's that's not the case. With God, we're declared guilty before we ever go to court. Why? It doesn't seem fair. But according to the Bible, that's the truth. Because God is holy and God is perfect. It says in Romans 3, 10, 12, and 23, there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who does good, not even one 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, if you were to take a microphone today and go out into Gorgie Roads and ask folks, all right, uh, excuse me, sir, tell me, are human beings fundamentally good or fundamentally evil? I promise you the answer you will typically get is, ah, well, we've all done bad stuff, we're not perfect, but fundamentally, we're kind of good people. That's the standard answer we've got. Our take on ourselves is that we're not that bad. But that is diametrically opposed, unfortunately for us, to God's take on us, okay? So we're faced with this collision of wills, what we think and what God thinks. So we make a decision. Either we're right, or God who created everything, who's all wise and eternal and true, is wrong. Hmm. You know, this is why I believe the Bible's inspired by God. You know, no man would make this stuff up, right? I know, I'll write a book that tells everyone that they're wicked and criminals in the sight of God. That's a great idea. Now, the ironic thing, it's the world's all-time bestseller, the Bible. That's phenomenal. I know God wrote it because no man would make this up. We would write a good take on ourselves. But what we do is, according to the Bible, we are sinners. We are born sinners and we sin by choice. Now, you look at, it starts all seemingly innocent. So I've, I've got kids. Kids are lovely little things, right? You have fun making them, then there they are, then they have a lot of fun when they're there. And the thing about the kids, right, is I never taught my kids to do bad things. Yeah, no good parent would. In fact, to be honest, no evil parent would either. All parents raise kids to have certain values. Yet, since the age they're, right, they rebel. They, you ask them to do something, they do the opposite. The little, precious little things they are. They're wicked sinners, right? And you are worse. From the word go, we're sinners according to the Bible. And right through our lives, we continue as sinners. So let me talk about sin. There are different types of sin. I don't know if you know this. There's sexual sin. And some of you here are perverts. Some of you are fornicators. That means you have sex outside of marriage. Some of you here are adulterous. You've had sex with someone and you're married and you shouldn't be doing that. Or you've thought it. You've gone there in your mind and according to Jesus, it's just as bad. How many? Okay. <laughs> you lust. Some of you are pornoholics. You're on the TV or on the computer at all types of stupid times of the day and night and you ought to know better. Sexual sins. There are verbal sins. Some of you are verbally abusive. Some of you don't speak up when you should have. Some of you are nagging wives, and that's a sin. Some of you are physically, sorry, verbally abusive husbands. You're aggressive with your words, and that's a sin. Some of you steal. Some of you covet. You don't actually do the stealing, but you covet anyway. According to the Bible, it's a sin. You have financial sin. Some of you have spent more than you ought to, and you're in horrendous debt because you tried to live a life that you couldn't afford to live. You've lived a gluttonous life, and as a result, you're in financial sin. Some of you are gluttonous. You're committed to food abuse and alcohol abuse and drug abuse and smoking. All sorts of abuses that harm your body. Some of you are murderous. You've been murderous in your thoughts. Jesus said even hatred towards someone is a murder. Some of you have murdered the child in your womb. Some of you are liars. And some of you are now sitting here thinking, well, I'm not that bad actually, having heard that. Well, the Bible calls that pride, and that's the worst sin of all. We're sinners. Now, what we do is we judge ourselves by ourselves. We measure ourselves by ourselves. So when we ask, are you a sinner? We say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so or such and such. It's like if I was to say to you, are you wealthy? You wouldn't instantly think, am I wealthy compared to the Dalits in India? You would say, okay, am I wealthy compared to how folks I know? So I'm probably more wealthy than them, not so wealthy. So you'd say, well, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm really rich, but I know people who are richer than me, but sure, I've got more than other people. That's probably how you'd answer. We don't measure ourselves, we wouldn't compare ourselves to the Dalits in India. So when we talk about our sins, are we measuring ourselves by ourselves on our own scale, or are we measuring ourselves on God's scale? And if we measure ourselves on God's scale, we're left with devastating thoughts. <laughs> Because it's not very positive. The Bible tells us 
there is none righteous, not even one. See, it's, I guess you could say you take a business card, and on that business card, Jesus appears to you one day and says, are you a good lad? And you say, I'm a good lad. You say, okay, so how good are you? Get your business card out. So you get your business card out. You say, right, write the worst person you could ever think of at the bottom of the business card. So who do you write? You write Adolf Hitler, okay? Everyone says Adolf Hitler. So you write Adolf Hitler at the bottom of the business card. And you say, right, who's the best person you can think of? And who would, who would they say? Thank you. <laughs> what would you say? Okay, I know you're also spiritual, right? Okay, now, most people, normal people say Mother Teresa, okay? So Adolf Hitler and Mother Teresa. Jesus is the one talking to you, right? Okay, so. Now, you'd say, okay, now, Jesus would say to you, now, on, on that, on that scale, put your own name down somewhere. So you'd get a pen and say, well, I'm not as bad as Adolf Hitler. And I, no, I'm not as good as Mother Teresa. I, I'd put myself 60% up the scale and you'd write your name there. And then Jesus says, right, take your business card and come with me to the Wallace Monument. And he'd put the, your business card with Adolf Hitler on the grass, Mother Teresa at the top, leaning against the Wallace Monument. And he'd say, now, come with me to the top of the Wallace Monument. And you go up to the top of the Wallace Monument and he would say, this is God's standard of perfection and holiness up here. Can you see your card down there? Then all of a sudden, our measuring among ourselves peels into insignificance because in the sight of God, we're sinners according to the Bible. Oswald Chambers says this, the moral law does not consider our weaknesses as human beings. In fact, it does not take into account our hereditary or our infirmities. It simply depends It demands that we are absolutely moral. The moral law never changes, either for the highest of society or for the weakest in the world. It is enduringly and eternally the same. The moral law ordained by God does not make itself weak to the weak by excusing our shortcomings. It remains absolute for all time and eternity. If we are not aware of this, it is because we are less than alive. Once we do realize it, our life immediately becomes a fatal tragedy. So point one, our condition before God. Who liked point one? Point two gets worse. God's mercy and judgment. See, in the Bible, we see different contrasts in God. One contrast we find in God is the love of God and the hate of God. Psalm 11.5, Romans 9.13. You've probably got these things in your notes. Okay, we also see contrasts in God, the goodness and the severity of God, Romans eleven twenty two, And today we're talking about the mercy and the judgment of God. I mean, they seem diametrically opposed, and yet both exist totally in God, the creator. James 2, 12 to 13, speak and act as those uh, who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful But mercy triumphs over judgment. So let's look at his judgment first. God judges. First of all, we read in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and each one may receive what is due him for the things that he has done in the body, whether good or bad. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You know, it's convenient for us to leave aside certain truths. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, Do not fear the one who can kill the body, but is unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who's able to kill both soul and body in hell. This is tough stuff, folks, right? If you want to go to a church where they just read the stuff we like to hear, then you're in the wrong church. I dislike, I find this uncomfortable as you do. It's horrendous, it's devastating, but I think sometimes it's healthy to look at it. And the truth is that the creator is a judge and he's a strict judge and he will judge eternally. And according to Jesus, he will cast people into hell forever. And that's horrendous. But I believe it's true. God is a judge. 
I remember doing an outreach up at the Edinburgh University and there was a, a guy from the Humanist Society came along, nice guy, got on well with him. And he said to me, Peter, if I could believe that there was a God and that that God would send people to hell, you know what I would do? I would hate a God like that. I would shake my fist at God like that. And I thought to myself, is that wise? Would it not be wiser that if there was a God like that, that you humbled yourself and you got right with a God like that? I believe God is a judge. Why? Because he likes to. I'll tell you why, because he's just. And if God wasn't just, the entire universe would fall into disarray. God is a judge because he is just. And if he wasn't just, woe to the universe. If the one on the throne of the universe wasn't just, then woe to the universe. I also believe he's merciful. He's merciful. Why? Because he loves. Psalm Psalm 86 verse 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Notice the proportion with which he's got love. Notice the proportion with which he's angry. Slow to anger, but abundant in loving kindness and truth. So I believe in the judgment of God. But I believe just as equally and just as passionately in the abundance of God's love towards humanity. I believe in these two dynamics within God. I believe they both exist together. And I believe this is what gives us our biggest answer and our biggest dilemma before God. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Listen to this. The God of the Bible is as severe as if he were unmerciful. As if he was not gracious. And yet he is as gracious and merciful as if he was not just. His mercy exists in such an extreme that you would think, can he let us off with that? And yet his justice exists with such an extreme. We think, is he merciful? Both exist. If you read the Bible, you're going to face both of these. You're going to, you're going to go through passages of the Bible and you think, man, God's heavy. Other points in the Bible you think, phew, God's merciful. And we're not deluded enough to say, oh, let's just focus on one set of verses. Or the other set of verses. We want to be balanced and understand truth. So here's the problem. How can God express his mercy and not negate his judgment? Can God, I mean, would that be right? If, if, if someone had committed a crime against your family and the judge said, okay, I'll just turn a blind eye to this time, on you go, you go free. What would you feel? you would feel that's wrong, that's unjust. It wouldn't sit right with us. Why? Because the mercy negated the, ju- the justice. And the other question is this. Can God express justice and at the same time express his mercy? The answer to both these questions is how can God express his justice and show his mercy? And how can God express his mercy not at the expense of justice? The answer to the, both of those is Jesus. That's the answer. It's like the old Sunday school answer. Any question you get asked in Sunday school, what's the answer? Jesus, miss. That's it, Jesus. That's the answer. Who's the answer? Jesus. This is what, this, this, let, me, let me give you a, an example from Jesus' life. John 8, 2 to 11. This is beautiful. At dawn, <clears throat> at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts. And there were all the people gathered around him. And when he sat down to teach them, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And he made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? All right, now when you're talking about stoning, remember the culture? Stoning in those times was a punishment. These days it's a recreational thing, right? Uh, Stoning... Being stoned in those days was a bad thing, right? It still is a bad thing. It's just that, okay, you understand this. It's the language thing, right? 
He said, you've got to stone that person. That's what the law requires. Now, what do you say? They were trying to trap him. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis of accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And they kept on questioning him and he straightened up and said to them, if any of you is without sin, let him throw the first stone at her. And he stooped down again and started writing in the ground with his finger. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time from the oldest ones first. And only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. How important will the mercy of God be on judgment day? Here this lady has her judgment day right here and then. She meets Jesus. This was a tricky situation. Lady was caught in the act of adultery. According to Deuteronomy 22 verse 22, this is what the law requires. It says, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man and the one who slept with the woman must die. You must purge evil from Israel. Who wrote that? Moses, who inspired him to write that? So that's a commandment, not a man-made commandment. That's the Bible commandment from God. Stone someone caught in the act of adultery. Who's Jesus? God. The amazing thing is we believe about Jesus is he wasn't just a guru. We believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. So the author of that law was being asked about his own law. Jesus, the lawgiver, the one whose finger wrote the Ten Commandments, was now the one whose finger was writing on the grounds. The only one who could point the finger, the only one who could actually legitimately bring the judgment on that woman was standing there. The very lawgiver himself was being asked about his own law. Then did Jesus violate his own law? Did Jesus negate his own law? Did Jesus neglect justice that he had wanted to happen anyway for the sake of a moment which he felt awkward about? Was that what was going on? No. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Jordan, uh, sorry, Gordon J. Getty said this, God's mercy is never given at the expense of his own justice. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Why? Very simple answer. Because Jesus was condemned on her behalf. Simple as that. Justice was done. The price was paid. It's just that she didn't have to pay the price. He said, I'll take it for you. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ died for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous. When Jesus died on the cross he the righteous died on behalf of me the unrighteous. Neither do I condemn you. How is that possible? How is that mercy possible because of the sake of justice? It's only possible because of the cross. Only way it's possible. You know, the big question is, who killed Jesus? <clears throat> Some say, it was the Romans who killed Jesus. You know, they, they saw this rebel rising up with a rabble, and they said, we're going to take the guy out. Some say, okay, it was the Pharisees. The Pharisees killed Jesus. They were thoroughly intimidated by Jesus, so they took him out. They bribed one of his own disciples, they called for an execution to take place and Jesus was crucified. So it was the Pharisees. Someone could say, well, it was our sins killed Jesus. And that's fairly accurate as well. Our sins killed Jesus. If it wasn't for us being sinners, Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. But do you know ultimately who was pulling the strings in the crucifixion? God. God the Father killed Jesus. God the Son. Isaiah chapter 53, 6, 8, 9, and 10. The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. 
He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. Listen, but the Lord was pleased to crush him. Who crushed Jesus? The Lord. Who crushed Jesus? According to the Bible, the Lord. The Lord, God the Father, was pleased to crush God the Son. Putting him to grief if he would render himself a guilt offering. God the Father poured out his wrath on God the Son instead of on me. Instead of judging me, he judged the Son. That's why on the cross, Jesus cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? God the Father poured out his wrath. He diverted it from me and poured it out on his Son. Don't know how that makes you feel. Either you don't believe it, or if you believe that, you're going to feel utterly, eternally humbled and grateful. People say, Well, Peter, my sin's not that bad. Women, have you just heard what we said? My sin's not that bad. You know, at the judgment day, God's just going to wink at my sin and say, oh, It wasn't that bad. Listen, God the Father poured out his wrath and anger on God the Son. He caused him to go through a barbaric death. He was whipped, his back was ripped open. He was spat upon, his beard was ripped from his face. Crown of thorns was hurled into his forehead. You're going to tell me God at the end of, at the end of all eternity is just going to wink at you and say, oh, it wasn't that bad really, sunshine. No. God is just. God is vehemently against sin. Sin will be judged by hell. How much will mercy mean to you on judgment day? When you stand before God, what is your plea? I wasn't that bad? The challenge you've got is, it's your human opinion and popular public opinion here in the West today that that's truth. But according to the Bible, which has been around a lot longer, and to be honest, has a lot more authenticity. Our version of truth is contrary to God's version of truth. You know my hope when I stand before Jesus at the end, in Judgment Day, my only hope is that what he did on the cross for this sinner was sufficient that this sinner could be saved. Romans 5, 8-9, but God demonstrates his own what? What does God demonstrate? Love. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us, much more than having been justified by his blood, shall we be saved from the wrath of God through him. John Scott said this, the symbol of our religion is the cross, not the scales. James 2.13, mercy triumphs over judgment. So we believe that God is a just and God is a merciful God. Listen, I don't know you all today. Love you all to bits. Great to have you here. And you know what? I'm convinced God loves you to bits. Not just in some emotional sense, but in the most radical sense you've ever experienced. That 2,000 years ago, he paid personally a price for you so that you wouldn't need to pay the price for your own sin. That he could, his long was to, longing was to show you mercy. So he did something to make that possible. Not at the expense of justice. He satisfied justice so he could show you mercy. Now the thing is, if you go through your life thinking you're good enough and you don't need Jesus, then at the end of your life you're going to have to give a reason to God why you were good enough to get into heaven and you're going to be struggling. But if you put your faith in Jesus and you say, Jesus Christ, you are my only hope. To be honest, he's the only one who was sin-free. The only one who's ever lived and died sin-free. That's why I believe Jesus is the only way to the Father. Because he was the only one qualified. He was God's answer to humanity. Put your faith in him today. Don't be religious. Don't take the brownie points trying to earn God's favor. Put your faith in Jesus, the one who died and rose again. And he's here in this room right now by his spirit. And it's either, either the Holy Spirit's confirming in your heart what I'm saying to you just now. Or he's not. And I believe he already is. I believe there's a witness in your heart saying what is being said to you is true. God's mercy and judgment. And then the last thing I'm going to talk to you about is our 
mercy, and judgment. Let's go back into James. This is our response to his mercy and judgment. James 2, 3 to 4, and 8 to 9. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand here or sit at the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Notice the verse about God's mercy and God's judgment is in a specific context. The context that that verse appears in, God is talking about us showing mercy to people who are less fortunate than ourselves. That's the, that's the context. And God, God's mercy and judgment has a bearing on how we should be with other people. It has a bearing on how merciful we should be with other people. Specifically here in the Bible, it says we shouldn't favor the rich over the poor. If you've been with us in the last few weeks, we've also said you shouldn't favor the black over the white. And you shouldn't favor the Protestant over the Catholic. And you shouldn't favor the, the Falkirk over the Rangers fan. <laughs> but that we should show love and concern equally to all people because all men are created equal in the sight of God. And that's not in the Bible, that's the American Constitution, but it's true. See, God calls us to show mercy and compassion. Say mercy and compassion. Okay, let me, let me throw out a few things for you here. This is a, this is a thought-provoking thought, I think. Some of you are in a bad situation, or some of the folks in, in Gorgia or in Edinburgh are in a bad situation because of stuff that was done to them, right? They didn't ask for it. It was done to them. Let's take, for example, single-parent family. We've got good friends who live near us. And do you know what? You know what really hacks me off? was the husband in that home just fancied a younger wife to have sex with. So he dumps his older wife and he ups and off with a younger wife. In the meantime, he leaves his two kids with the mum, struggling. The kids are emotionally all over the place. The mum is doing her best to hold it together. She didn't ask for that. It was imposed upon her. She's the victim now, sure, she, she, I don't know if she was the best wife at all times. I don't know. If she, she wouldn't even claim that, right? But he, he crossed the line. So she's a victim. So what do we feel towards that person? Compassion. Okay, you take another situation. You take an abused kid. A kid that's facing physical or sexual abuse. What do we feel for that victim? Compassion. Okay, you take someone, um, someone who's got a horrible disease, not because of any crazy living or any mismanagement of their body, but they've got a disease. They didn't ask for it, yet they've got this disease. What do we feel? Compassion. Now, we feel compassion, and that's good. But I have to say, there are also people in bad situations who are not there as victims. They are there as volunteers. They are there because of the dumb stuff they did. Some of them will deny it. Others will acknowledge it. I was stupid. That's why I'm in this predicament. So for example, you get a guy. He's heavily on meds to try and keep his temperament normal. Because he's, he's gone mental. He's emotionally a wreck. Why? You feel sorry for him, sure. But Why? Because he was the guy who dumped the wife. He was the guy who can never see his kids anymore. He's broken by that, but it's his own mistake. He was the guy who caused hurt and pain to others. And now he's living with utter regret and depths of despair. What do you feel for that person? You have another situation where you've got a drug addict. Now sure, some drug addicts end up in drugs because of hurt and pain they're facing. Most do. But some drug addicts just started on light recreational drugs and they just want higher highs. And it was just a fun thing for them. So now they're a drug addict. They've got a 50 pound a day habit. And to fund their habit, they're shoplifting and doing whatever it takes. They've, they've nicked from their family, so they're now alienated from their family. And they're, now they're begging on the streets and saying, hungry and homeless. 
but they're hungry and homeless because of their own choice, because they made dumb decisions, and they're taking from society and giving nothing back. So what do you feel for that person? Okay? You get someone in severe debt. They've lived the life of Riley. Wish I'd met Riley. <laughs> they, they just, they lived a life that they shouldn't have lived. They lived lavishly. <clears throat> they, they piled up huge amount of debt they, to feed their addictions, to feed their lives. So they're in huge amount of debt. Should you write their debt off? How do you feel for that person? All right? You're going to find it incredibly hard to show compassion for people. Okay, another example. I said, I said earlier, you feel compassion for the abused kids, right? We all agree. But what about for the abuser, the dad, who 30 years ago was the abused kid? What do you feel for that person? You see, we can show compassion for people, right? Because we can understand how they got there and we understand it wasn't their fault. So we find that easier to show compassion. But what God calls us to show is mercy. And mercy, God to us, mercy is God withholding from us that which we deserved. See, I don't get heaven because I'm good enough. If it was based on what I deserved, I'd be going to hell. I get heaven because of his mercy. So therefore, what's my attitudes having received this mercy? What's my attitude towards people who get what they're deserving in life? I find it hard to show compassion. But God commands us to show mercy. Showing people the love they just did not deserve to get. Loving the abused, the abusive dads just as much as you show compassion for the abused kids. That's the mercy of God at work in our lives. You see, the papers, you, you look at the tabloid paper, they are horrendous when it comes to subjects. They're the first ones to show compassion for victims. But at the same time, the first one to totally ruin the lives of the victimizers. They are utterly merciless because their bottom line isn't compassion or mercy, to be honest. It's selling papers. Listen to what it says. Luke 6, 35 to 36. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting anything back. And then your rewards will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. And be merciful. Just as the Father is merciful. Isn't that incredible? That's radical. That's extreme. That's Jesus. Peter the Apostle came to Jesus one day and in Matthew 18, 21, 22, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, he thought he was being generous, to be honest. But Jesus' reply was this. Not seven times, but 70 times seven. It's mind-blowing. It's an extremity that human beings can't relate to. But this extremity exists within God's. He is slow to anger and abundant in mercy. It's incredible. See, God calls us to forgive, to be merciful, to love people who just really don't deserve love. That's what God calls us to do. Why? Because that is how he is with us. And that blows us away. Notice Jesus' command to forgive was 70 times 7. What is that, by the way? 400, what? Any intelligent people here today? 490? 490? Everyone agree with that? If you put your hand up now, you look really intelligent. Anyone agree with that? Yeah. Wow. 490. So it's not like when, it's when your brother sinned against you on a particular day, you're kind of at 489, and you're just waiting. He does it again. Right, I've got biblical grounds to deck you now, right? <laughs> Grace has run out. Oof. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, who's counting? That's what Jesus was saying. And what else Jesus was saying was this. 
that they, in this same way that you should expend, express love and forgiveness towards a human being, why should we express it that way? Because that's the exact same way that God expresses it towards us. You see, you sin once in a day and you think, God, forgive me. You sin 15 times in a day, you think, oh, Lord, this is really hard. And you think, will God forgive me? And he does. And you think, man, that's impossible. And then you sin 50 times in a day. And you think, this is the worst and the worst. Three days ago, Graham sinned 100 times in a day. <laughs> he came crawling into my office. And I showed him this verse and he, God encouraged him. I believe and just so you know, I, I could have told you days when he's done hundreds, not just 100. God's forgiveness is incredible. God's mercy is incredible. And God commands us, show mercy. So I want to encourage you. Those who are holding grudges against exes, forgive. Those who are blaming others for things that they did to you, forgive them. You forgiving people will not mean that they are excused for the mistake they made. It's not like saying what they did was fine. It's not saying that. Forgiveness doesn't say what they did was fine. All forgiveness says is, as far as I'm concerned, between you and me and you, God, and between me and them, is I'm no longer going to carry this. If you don't forgive people, you end up resembling them. You become the bitter, twisted person you didn't want to be because you've held the grudge. So it, it is huge what they did to you. And I'm not excusing that. And neither is God's. But for your sake and your future, you must forgive, even if your emotions don't want to. Just by sheer decision, every day, decision. The emotions will catch up. Stick with the decision. Forgive. Embrace them. Love, the, love your enemies, Jesus says. Pray for those who persecute you. It's incredible. You see, folks, our mercy towards others is a response to God's mercy towards us. Our mercy towards others is a response to God's mercy towards us. But also, listen, it's the opposite way around as well. God's mercy towards us is in response to our mercy towards others. James 2.13 Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus echoes this thought in Matthew 5.7 Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Are you saved because you showed mercy? Or do you show mercy because you're saved? Dr. James Roscup said this, when a man lives without mercy to others in God's world, he simply shows off the fact that he himself has never responded right to the immeasurable mercy of God. The mercy... The mercy a man has shown others as the fruit of the life touched by God's saving mercy will triumph over judgment. His own sins, worthy of judgment, are removed by God's working in his life. Dissolves all charges strict justice might bring against him. Thus, his showing of mercy is no matter of heaping up a pers up personal merit to deserve salvation by his own good works. The mercy he shows is itself is itself a work of God for which he can take no credit. You see, what we show in the natural realm will be shown to us in the supernatural realm. This week, we were helping a dear lady in the city. She, she is in her 60s. She'd been, uh, for the last decade, been caring for her sickly husband. He's now died. And she, well, well, when, she was, when her husband was going through the worst time in his life, she was being an awesome wife and caring for him right till the end. When he died, his benefits stopped and the house that they had been allowed to live in was no longer available to her. So she's now homeless, 65 years old, selfless living, giving herself to her husband, now homeless. If she went and lived with a friend, she wouldn't be considered homeless and she would lose her priority with the council. So she literally had to stay homeless to keep silver priority in order for her to get a council house. So she's staying in a hostel, she's now a 65-year-old who's been selflessly loving her husband is now in a council house, sorry, in a, in a hostel. She had a meeting last week with the council. They said you must take the first flat that comes up, otherwise 
you're going to be demoted from your priority list. Anyway, the first flat comes up. She doesn't like it. She doesn't want it. She wants to be in a flat where she can go out at nighttime and not feel insecure. She wants to spend her latter years in security in a place that she at least likes. So we sent one of the church staff along with her to a meeting from the council. It was Beth who did the drama earlier. And the, the attitude was basically this. The council person saying to this lady, said, to be honest, we don't care about you. All we care about is doing our job. And this flat is now available, so you must take it. And if you don't, you'll be demoted from silver priority. You know what I asked myself? I asked myself, is if that lady from the council, would she say the same thing to her mum? God shows mercy to those who show mercy. Francis Quarry said this, mercy turns her back on the unmerciful. Jeremy Taylor said, if we refuse mercy here, we will have justice in eternity. Okay, conclusion. How should we live and how should we die? Firstly, I encourage you, live in love. James 2.8, if you keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. See, all the commands, all the commands of scripture are summed up in that command. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You see, if you love your neighbor as you love yourself, thou shalt not kill is a non-issue. If you love your neighbor as you love yourself, thou shalt not commit adultery is a non-issue. It's covered. Because love will require that you won't do that. Jesus himself, when asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is the royal command. St. Augustine said this, love God and do what you like. Yeah, you're free. Love God, do what you like. So live in love. How do you die? You die in hope. How important will mercy be to you in judgment day? I die with a hope. Not, not yet, but when I die. Titus 3.5 says, having saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. My salvation is not because I'm such a good guy. Thanks to the person who paid me the compliment earlier. But I'm not even near the top of the credit card. Right? I'm way down. I'm near the Hitler end of the scale. I'm a horrendous man. I'm destitute without God. You you may think I'm just saying that for effect. If you knew me before God, you would know that is not just for effect. I mean that. Without God, I am zip. I'm a nice guy. I've got talents and abilities. But without God, I am nothing. With God, I can do all things and I'm loved and I'm a child of God. My hope when I die is in how good he is. I hope in his mercy. Jude 1, 21, and I end with this. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. When I die, I wait for his mercy because he took my punishment for me. That doesn't let me off the hook and cause me to live as whatever I want. As a result of what he done for me, I am utterly grateful. And therefore I want to spend my life, every breath that God gives me, every talent that I've got, every penny that I own, my family, my resources, my everything, every energy, every gift, every talent. Why? What for? For the glory of God. That's my purpose for living, him. He's the one I'm living for. Why do I want to live? Why do I want to do church? Why do I want to expend myself? Why? Because I love him. And he's been great to me. And I want to just show the love of Christ to the city. That's it. Let's pray. Lord God, we honor you. We honor you, God, as the just God. As the God who will judge. One day will come and that day is called judgment day. And the world will end and you will judge the living and the dead. You will judge every person who ever has lived and ever will live. And you will bring every deed to an account. Not one person will get off with one thing. But God, in that day, we realize 
that those who have put their faith in Jesus, their judgment has been taken. And to them, mercy will be extended. Now God, that seems harsh. But we also believe it's real. And God, we ask you, please help us to love this city. Help us to love those who have never been loved. Help us to show not just compassion, but go the extra mile. Help us to show mercy towards those who don't deserve it. And I pray, God, that you would also help us to communicate the message of your love to this city as best as we can. God, help us to be merciful, just purely out of gratitude to you. Help us to be merciful towards others, just as you've been merciful towards us. Okay, take a moment while the musicians play just to respond to God. Pray back your response to God. If you feel challenged in a particular area, then talk to God about it just now. people are praying maybe you're here today and you know that you are not connected with God you have no assurance when judgment day comes that you're going to be safe why not put your faith in Jesus today I'm not talking about becoming religious I'm not asking you to become a member of this church although you'd be welcome to I'm saying to you why not turn from your old life and put your faith in Jesus the saviour the only saviour who died and who rose and who right now is here invite him into your life turn yourself over to him if that's you today I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond right now just while everyone's eyes are closed I invite you, while everyone else is praying their prayers, why not you pray with me just now? Repeat this prayer after me. Let this be your prayer of commitment to him. For you turn from your old ways and turn to him and put him first in your life. So that's you. Repeat this after me quietly under your breath. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your immense love for me. Thanks for your abundant mercy towards me God I fear you because I know you're the judge and I love you because I know you're merciful Jesus thank you for dying on that cross for me for taking the punishment that I deserved for my sins Please forgive me in this moment and forever. Cleanse me thoroughly. Thank you. Jesus, I believe in the third day you rose again. I believe you're totally alive now. And right now I yield my life to you. Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. I pledge my allegiance to you. And from this day forward, I will follow you whatever it takes. Thanks for hearing my prayer and for accepting me today. In Jesus' name. Can you keep your eyes closed? If anyone prayed that prayer, you have just done a marvelous thing and God has heard your prayer you're the very reason Jesus came and died on the cross if you prayed that prayer I'd love the privilege of praying for you in order to know who I'm praying for I'm just going to ask you to do a simple thing if you prayed that prayer and you meant it in order to know who I'm praying for I just ask you to very simply raise your hands quickly thank you anyone else thank you 
anyone else? Before I pray, is there anyone else who prayed that prayer? very simply have just made a commitment to you very simple but they meant it and I know in this moment a transaction has taken place between heaven and them as they've asked for forgiveness the Bible says you've granted it and as they've put their faith in you the Bible promises them eternal life not based on how good they are but based on you Jesus and what you did for them I pray from this day forward help them to live authentically for you I pray Lord God help to deal with stuff that's held them back help them to walk with you I pray help to plug their lives into a great church where they can grow in their faith and help to make a difference with their lives in Jesus name